Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Being asked for advice and help is a double-edged sword. On the one side, You feel accomplished and proud to show off the knowledge and experience you've worked so hard to gain. But on the other side, you may have a sense of imposter syndrome because you know how much you don't know. In this episode, we're going to discuss mentoring and becoming a mentor. The goal is to answer questions that you may have about what is expected. And the format's going to be a little bit different, so we'll explain that in a moment. Before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Not much of anything, man. It's been really smooth with the new job. Like I'm settled in and it's really low stress. You know, I had forgotten what having appropriate processes looked like as far as the level of stress. And so like when you have a build pipeline and you're releasing every day and your QA team has to have automated tests to catch things instead of it, you know, just coming up in a month or two, like you don't get interrupted. You just work. Nice. So yeah, it's been extremely low stress on that. I guess the only other piece of news is I finally found somebody's hobby website to help me with my cases on Russian. Oh, cool. So like there's six different cases. And so somebody like stood up a little hobby website and I've been like beating that thing to death. So I like, I contacted him. I'm like, hey, you know, like, could I just pay for a couple of months of your hosting or something so that I can kick the crap out of your web host until I lock these in. I hadn't heard anything back, but who knows? <laughs> you <laughs> That's know, cool, man. like I felt bad because I'm like, this may be somebody's like code school project and, you know, I'm on there every day. Yeah. So, so what's going on with you? Well, it is uh, National Sound Check Day. And uh, it would be more impressive if I had thought to say that the episode that came out today, but uh, it is December 12th. Or one two one two. Oh, <laughs> it's another one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the dad jokes of calendaring. Yes, yes. On that, I took my acoustic guitar to practice this evening. They were practicing one of the songs that I'm learning for my audition, and the worship director told me that I could play along in the booth. What I didn't know is that my friend Demi, who doesn't normally lead songs, was leading. So. They usually run through it two, sometimes three times. The first time they did it, I was like, no, I'm going to be on the board because I want to mix for them. I don't want to just like, if it was one of the regular song leaders, I could just put it in kind of in their range and just leave it and then go practice. But I wanted to mix for him since he doesn't normally lead. And so I got him, I got him in a good position. And then the second round, I actually got to play along. And uh, let me just tell you, that's a fast song. For my audition, I have to learn a slow song and a fast song. I got the slow song down. I've got the chord transitions and the rhythm down, but I haven't built up the speed yet. So yeah, that was a a good little wake-up call that I need to focus on that for the next few weeks. This week, I've been in an introduction to our programming class. Ah, the favorite language of pirates. Yes. Speaking of dad jokes, it's basically any intro uh, into language course. I mean, it's just it's an introduction to the language, though. The instructor kept talking about how it's a really old language. So I'm thinking it's like, you know, C or COBOL or something 
like that. But no, it was developed in the 90s. Yeah. I mean, it's it's older than C Sharp, but I like the class, though. I'll be honest with you. I'm not a big fan of these all day courses just because by about the third or fourth hour, I'm just fried and I need to process what I've learned. They try to break it up with activities and such, but other than lunch and two short breaks, you're kind of restricted to just sitting and listening. Yeah. And it's just like after three or four hours of that, I'm like, I'm done. No matter how hard I try, my mind just floats away. And I'm like, a lot of times I'm going and doing work. I'm like checking emails and stuff like that. So, but uh, speaking of sitting around all day, let's go ahead and get into our healthy book or book club. Chapter one of The Healthy Programmer, Get Fit, Feel Better, and Keep Coding is titled Making Changes, and it focuses on how to make healthy changes in your life. It starts with the story of Chad Fowler and how his life improved when he got control of his health and lifestyle habits. Since this book is about refactoring your health, Kuttner points out that you need to unit test your health to see where you need improvement. Even a somewhat healthy developer has habits, usually built around their software development career, that have a negative impact on their health. He also emphasizes having a system and a schedule that you're able to maintain. I know I struggled for the longest time because I wasn't making my workout routine maintainable. So like I would go in and I just push myself as hard as I could, and I thought that's what you were supposed to do every single time. And I couldn't be consistent with that because after about two or three weeks, I just like, I just can't, I would wear myself down until I just didn't have the energy to do it anymore. Yeah. I had the same problem. I would get sick or Mm -hmm. get injured or it would start screwing up my sleep because that's the big thing. Like my shoulders will start hurting and it wakes me up in the middle of the night. Yeah. Building a maintainable system means taking an iterative approach to that. And this could be as simple as starting a new habit. You know, when I got serious about weight loss, early last year, I started off just going to the gym every day and walking for 30 minutes. It wasn't making drastic change, but it was getting me into the habit of going to the gym every day. And now if I don't go to the gym, I just notice I'm like, something's wrong. Oh, right. You know, I didn't make it to the gym today. Let me see if I can fit it into my schedule or I can go for at some point during the day. So like if I miss it, I notice it now because it's just become a habit of going. And once I got into the habit, I started adding to it and doing more. Cutner goes on to talk about the science behind habit formation and what goes on inside our brains while forming new habits and what goes on once they're formed. He references an MIT study that breaks habits down into three components, a cue, a routine, and a reward. He then talks about reprogramming your habits and creating a goal to change one habit by identifying these three components and how you can make a change to them. Each chapter in this book ends with a retrospective and a list of action items for you to do. The last item in chapter one states to start slowly. This is an important one because so many of us want to jump into like a six-week boot camp type program of intensive, like high-intensity interval training is a big thing. But when you're jumping right into it, 
it's really difficult to keep that up. And we end up dropping out one or two weeks into the program, or like Will said, getting injured or getting sick. So it's a really great start to what I think is going to be a great book for us to go through over the next couple of months. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Who's talking to us this week? Well, you may have noticed that we had to turn off comments on the website. Hopefully they'll be back up by the time this episode airs because Beach is going to be doing some maintenance over the holidays, you know, during the school break, you know, along with all the other things he's got to catch up on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know the feeling. I'm ready for the end of the year. Once those are back, we'll be looking for comments on the show first. So if you want a water bottle, then comment on the website. For this week, since we're doing something different, we want to thank one of the people who contributed via Slack. Since Abby is the only one we have not sent a water bottle, we've got one just for you. So Abby, send us an email to waterbottle at completedeveloperpodcast.com with your contact information. Guys, if you'd like your very own Complete Developer water bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website once we get that fixed or any of our social media. You can still comment there. We also post all our episodes to Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, and we're on Instagram and Tumblr. need to post some more on Insta. I don't think we've posted anything on Tumblr. We've got an account. (laughs) I think that probably is to our credit. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Or you could join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. If you keep at this career long enough, you'll eventually meet someone who knows just a little bit less than you. You may be further along the path or you may know a technology they've yet to learn. In any case, you'll be asked for advice or mentoring at some point in your career. Now, you may be thinking, you know, I'm just a newbie or junior developer. I can't mentor someone. Well, you're going to be surprised by how much you actually can contribute. I still learn stuff from junior devs all the time. That's one of the best ways to pick up new things as a senior dev, by the way, just a party trick there. Juniors can mentor more senior developers in areas where the senior may not be as familiar. With the landscape changing as quickly as it does, you know, every few months, junior developers are coming in with knowledge that some seniors have not had time to pick up yet. Senior developers have a wealth of knowledge as far as, you know, the broader tech stuff. But when you get into a particular stack, that's where you go ask a junior. Mentoring can be tricky because you have to balance helping the other person learn with getting the job done and your other responsibility. You also have to know when a person is really in need of help or when they are just being lazy or don't think they can do it. There's a trap to avoid in solving the problem for them all the time. You want them to be able to learn the resources to do it for themselves. In this episode, we're going to delve into these topics. The format of this episode is going to be a little bit different as we've delved into more technical topics. We haven't had as much discussion as in our earlier episodes. Will and I were talking about this a few weeks ago. And so we're going to try something new, sort of new. We're going to do a Q&A style format for this episode. The idea for this came from a couple of questions that I wanted to ask Will. And I thought, you know, I should make an episode about it. And then I posted in Slack asking, hey, what questions do you guys have about mentoring? And as those started coming in, I decided to go with, rather than try and write out an episode that answered each of the questions, I decided to, hey, let's build a discussion where it's 
almost like an interview. We're kind of interviewing ourselves or letting our Slack members interview us through the outline. So we just want to shout out to the members who contributed to the conversation where I, I grabbed these Abby James, John Wells, Adam Staples, and uh, Dave Harned. So thank you guys. We really appreciate you. And Abby, shoot us an email because we got a water bottle for you. I'm pretty sure John and Adam have water bottles. Dave, if we haven't given you one yet, dude, let us yeah. know. Yeah, you, to, I, like, you I know where you we have. both live. <laughs> like, hopefully he's got a water bottle, yeah, unless yeah, he yeah. just really doesn't want one. Let us know. All right. So the very first question, how do you define mentoring? Yeah, I think this is an interesting question because it's, it's not just about defining mentoring. It's also how do you define teaching? Yeah. You know, where the line is between, okay, I showed somebody how to do something and I'm advising somebody how to proceed with a larger problem. Mm -hmm. I think mentoring is the latter. Teaching is, okay, here's how you modify your config file for Angular, you know, for this one little thing. Whereas mentoring would be, let's work on how you structure things and how you think about building the app and testing it. So I agree with you. I like that difference. And I'm glad you brought up the teaching thing. I think if teaching is a little bit more formal than mentoring. Yeah. Because the next question is, is it a formal relationship under defining it? I would think the best ones aren't. Yeah. I mean, I've been in some some friendships where I was mentoring the person in some areas and they were mentoring me in others. Yeah. I'm going to call him out on this just because he he helped out. But Dave, when he first got into looking for his first job and we worked together for a while, he had asked me a few questions about interviewing and some other stuff. And we just, we helped each other out with things. And he made a reference to, oh yeah, BJ is my mentor. And I'm like, what? How do you, how do you think I felt? <laughs> you know, yeah. the first time you said that, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Hold a minute. <laughs> yeah. But then as I started learning to play the guitar, that's something that Dave knows really well. And we'd sit and talk about that at lunch a few times and he'd give me some great advice. So, yeah, I think... We, especially in Western civilization, tend to put things on teaching that maybe are not realistic expectations, like the thing of they're the master and I'm the student. That's kind of a very narrow slice of the ways that you can learn things. Most of it will happen through exchange. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you think about your experiences in school, you know, you had the teacher who knew all the stuff and you didn't and you picked it up from them. Like you didn't help the teacher with anything. But after you get out of school, that's never the dynamic again. Yeah. Or almost never. I won't say never, never. But that's more of a relationship earlier on in school. Yeah. As you get into college, you start having more conversations with your professors. Grad school, it gets even more like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm in grad school now, and I remember the first time I was in grad school talking with my thesis advisor. And, you know, I was studying anger expressions in athletes. And he was interested in it, but he didn't know as much as I did by the time I had done like the background research on it, because I'd read all these articles, probably like 20 or 30 academic articles on the topic. Yeah. And so, he was advising me more than I was him, but I was teaching him the things I was learning. And so I think earlier on in the education system, it is that way. Once you get above a certain level, it starts to transition out of that. 
Yeah, because by that point, people realize that they don't know everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's if you're going to float that far up, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the humility should be part of that. Yeah. Or at least the desire to realize that the students are out there picking up knowledge and you might as well grab it in a refined form from them instead of doing the work yourself. Yeah. Some of the best classes I've had were the ones I remember most, at least, were ones where the teacher learned as well. Yeah. And then I also think about I've been getting into small group leading at church. I did in the summer and then I did this past semester, a small group. And they were discussion-based groups. So rather than like some of the groups were doing this book or we're following this and you you read along and then the person who is leading the group is sort of teaching you because they've read the book a couple of times and they've taken notes and they've done all this research. So they're leading the discussion. They're, they're doing that. Whereas with my groups, the first one was we're taking the outline from the sermon on Sunday and then we're all going out to dinner Tuesday night and we're going to sit and talk about it. And so I would have a list of questions if the conversation kind of started to wane. That never happened. Sometimes I would ask the first question just to get it started. And then we just, it went and it would go off and back to on topic. And it was, it was great. And I learned a lot from that. Yeah. So it is sort of that dynamic. And then the last one under defining it is, can you mentor someone more senior? Well, how do you define more senior? Like, is it just older? Because you definitely can mentor those people. Is it people that are more experienced in a broad swath of things, but there's one area that you're more experienced in, in which case, aren't you the senior one? What if it's someone who is more senior than you, has more experience than you in the area that you guys are working? I think that would be kind of hard, partially just because of the power dynamic more than anything. Here's a personal situation. I have a coworker. We are both at the same pay grade level kind of thing. We're both advanced developers, but he's been doing it since you and I were in school, like junior high, high school, maybe younger than that. But he's like me. He's a talker. When I've been doing it that long, I want his enthusiasm. He loves what he does. And he's told me, he's like, yeah, I've been lead. I've been in management. I didn't like it. So I came back to just being an advanced developer. It's our senior. Yeah. And he's like, this is where I'm happy. This is where I want to work till I retire. Yeah. So you could probably mentor that guy because he wants to learn. Yeah. But he'll come to me with stuff that he's working on. Like we're talking web forms type stuff, things I've never done just to run an idea past me to get a different perspective on it. Because he's like, I've been in my head on this for so long. I just need an outside perspective on it. Yeah. And I do that all the time. Yeah. I was like, half the time, I barely know what he's talking about because it's stuff that I've not worked with. Well, in that case, he's not looking for your answers. He's looking for your questions. Yeah. A lot of times. And, you know, I do that to one of our QA guys all the time. I'll just, I'll do a narrative real quick on what the problem is. And then I'll have the solution. I go, thanks for helping. He'll be like, glad I could sit here. (laughs) (laughs) I call it squeaky rubber ducking. Yeah. And so I think that's probably fair. I just feel like, the notion of somebody necessarily being more senior is possibly in the way of good mentoring, just because it suggests a power dynamic that may not really apply in the situation. Yeah. And that's why I really like working with this particular person, just because there's not this attitude, well, I've been doing this longer than you've been looking at computer screens. There is, hey man, 
I want to get your perspective on this. What do you think about this? And sometimes I'll go to him with stuff. I'm like, hey, I'm struggling with this. What do you think? He's like, well, huh. It's like, I'm not familiar with that technology, but here's how I do it in this older thing. I can see that. Okay. And then like, it's just, it's a good kind of back and forth type thing. And I think in a relationship like that, it should be. Now you can have the formal, you're the lead, I'm the junior, you're guiding me, especially when when you're learning something very, very new or something like that. Like when I first started out working with you. Right. Because then it was like, dude, quit writing the calculator program. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, please, no more calculator. Because, yeah. you know, I, was, I think I handed you like my graphing calculator. I'm like, here, you can just have it. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah. And I still have that thing, by the way, because you handed it back. But yeah. yeah, there is a certain point there, right? Where it's, I think there's probably two pieces. One is, is a mentor in charge of the curriculum of the learning versus are they setting your course? Or are they correcting your course? Yeah. And so there's a dynamic there as well. And so I feel like the whole thing of, can you mentor somebody who's more senior? Like that's almost a question that could be an entire episode because of the implications. Yeah, that's true. And that's how we transitioned to two. Yep. <laughs> so question number two is, how do you know when you're ready to mentor or guide someone? And I'll say on this, you have something that they want. Mm-hmm. Or they need. Yeah, they want it or they need it. Or you have the ability to help them avoid something that they don't want. And you know that's pretty much the long and short of it. Now, the other thing I will say is I really hate the recent phenomenon of I'm a 25-year-old life coach, <laughs> right? Like that bugs the ever-loving crap out of me. It's like, dude, I'm 40 and I would never position myself as a life coach. And I've been through some stuff. So it depends on what you're coaching. Yeah. I mean, like if you're coaching like, say, you know, middle schoolers or high schoolers on the stuff that happens before you're 25, fair. If you're talking down to a 50-year-old dude who has three kids and a mortgage and you're still living at your parents' place, it's, it's almost like a sales thing, right? Like you have to have a product that the buyer wants or you're not a seller. Well, I, I think to a lot of the people who are going beyond their expertise on this. Yeah. Because I remember when I was, before I went off to med school, I wasn't an official life coach or anything. I didn't ever charge anybody, though people paid me for helping out with this, usually with beer or whiskey. It was like, here, thanks so much for your help. Yeah. But uh, I would help people going back to school, like maybe 21, 22 year olds who had not gone straight into college. Yeah. And I think that's fair. Because you had something that was useful. Yeah, because I had been at multiple schools by that point in time. I'd gone to three different schools. So I'd gone through the admission process. I'd gone through that. And all the help at, at least back then, I don't know if it's changed, but all the help back then was aimed at helping high school students. Yeah, or their parents. Yeah, well, it's aimed at helping high school students transition to college. It wasn't aimed at helping 20-year-olds who had worked for two years transition to college right, and go through the application process and stuff like that. So that's where I stepped in and helped out, mostly just friends of friends and things like that. But they always like, you know, they compensated me by, you know, oh, hey, here's a thank you card with some money in it or something like that. Yeah. Here's something to help you kill some brain cells in an enjoyable (laughs) manner. (laughs) Right. But yeah, yeah. So like you were saying, if you're guiding people who are not as far along the path as you, you know, 
Now, where I could see a 25-year-old guiding a 50-year-old would be in a situation like that, where the 25-year-old has been to two or three different schools and is guiding them on how to apply to school. Yeah, or teaching them how to code because the 25-year-old's been doing it since they were 13 and the 50-year-old wants to learn. Yep, I can see that too. That's a good point. Yeah, that's why I was thinking the seniority thing. I'm not sure how you measure that. It's like, no. can you coach people that you're better than? What? And I mean, just better in a subjective sense. It's like, uh, what's better? What is the term we had in martial arts? Senpai. Yes, that's what I was looking for, senpai. Someone who's a little bit further along down the path. They're not at the teacher level down the path, but if you are a little further along than someone else, then you can mentor them in the areas that you have been in. Right. So it's a limited scope seniority. Yeah. So you could be a junior developer. And we have some, when we were talking about doing some mentoring with Developer Launchpad, we had some junior developers who were in their first jobs who wanted to help out. And we're like, hey, you'd be great for mentoring the people who haven't gotten a job yet. Yeah. That are coming up and they're going to their first interviews and stuff because they're going to be better at mentoring them than probably you are because you're not applying for those kind of jobs and you haven't in so long. Yeah. I would also say that, you know, probably the other side of this question is maybe the more interesting one is how do you know when you're not ready oh. to mentor or guide someone? Yeah. Because if you are attached to ego on things, like you can't be wrong, that's a really good time not to try to mentor somebody. Yeah. You know, if you're going to push your glasses up on your nose and say, well, actually, and make some crap up, mm -hmm. you probably don't need to do that. You know, or your ability to apply the concepts is a complete dumpster fire. Yeah. Which is what a lot of the 25 year old life coaches are. They're like, you know, they give people advice on like their marriage and their finances. And it's like, dude, you live in your parents' house. You've never had a relationship longer than two months. Like, stop. <laughs> you know, I really hate to just beat on the 25 year old life coaches, but I honestly don't hate it that much. <laughs> wow. Anyway. So the next question is how do I minimize? time loss to context switching whilst being helpful and approachable? One, you need to teach the people you're mentoring to go and try to find the answer themselves first, because that gets rid of a lot of questions and they're more prepared with actual difficult questions, you know, when you help them. Another thing you can do is try to schedule it. So just go, hey, between this time and this time in the morning, I've got to be heads down and focused. So you work and you try to figure it out and then We'll circle back and look at the stuff if you haven't figured it out by this point in the day. Yeah. Granted, that costs money because you're losing time to that, but you're not losing senior dev hours on top of the junior dev hours. Mm -hmm. One thing I have done when I kept getting approached about, and this is interesting because it was someone who had been a developer longer than I, but was not familiar with the technology. Yeah. They got stuck. Yeah. And so, I'm helping this person and she would come to me with every little thing. And so finally I gave her some advice on how to Google because Googling is a skill y'all. And we yeah. probably ought to have an episode on how to do that. It's on the Kanban. It's been there for three years. Yeah. It was one of our early ideas, but uh, it's also hard to teach. So that's why it's been there for so long. It's more of a one-on-one -on -one kind of thing. So anyway, I was working with her and I was showing her like, how to Google things and what you need to kind of kind of know and put in your, your search criteria. And after that, when she came to me with a question, I would just be like, all right, so what did you find on Google? Let's start there with what you know. And at first it was, well, I haven't 
done that. I just came to you. I'm like, all right, well, go find out what you can. That might solve your problem. If not, then come to me and we'll look. That being said, sometimes you just don't know what to ask. I know there have been a few times where I have messaged you and been like, all right, can you at least just give me the right search criteria for yeah, this? What the do words. I yeah. <laughs> like, this is what I'm trying to figure out, but I don't know how to put it because I can't find anything on Google for it. Yeah, I have that problem a lot. <laughs> and Google's gotten worse too about being able to find stuff, mm-hmm. especially tech stuff. You look up C-sharp questions and it's giving you stuff for like ADO 2.0 or some, you know, like or ADO.net 2.0, excuse me. Yeah, That's not anywhere near what I need, but it's got the better search ranking, even though it really shouldn't. So I will say the, you know, being helpful and approachable. The other thing you need to do is make sure that your manager knows that you're mentoring people mm. and you don't just take that on. If you think that it's going to be a problem with your productivity, because you can throw yourself under the bus, that doesn't help anybody, including the person you're mentoring. Yeah. You may have to talk to management about why having that time is important. One thing that we've kind of talked around, but we haven't really said is set aside time for it. And when I was in the office before I was at home four days a week, what I would do is say, all right, in the afternoons, yeah, like at this hour, I will answer questions because I knew I was going to be kind of winding down anyway. I wouldn't be as hardcore coding at that time. So if I got interrupted, then it was okay. So Another good time is like the hour after lunch. Yeah. You're not quite into it yet. So you can have that opportunity to really focus, like not focus, but to have your concentration pulled because you may not be concentrating as deeply at that time. Yeah. You're not ramped up to, you know, full speed because like the thing with interruptions for me, it's like riding a horse and the horse stops Mm -hmm. and you keep going. And then you land in the stuff. Yeah. That's what an interruption feels like to me in an office environment. And I worked in one where I was getting interrupted, you know, 15, 20 times a day. Mm-hmm. And I literally never got into a flow while I was in the office. Um, and I quit that job. Yeah. Ultimately, that's a pretty common thing, especially when management doesn't, you know, they're like, oh, well, we want you to be able to answer questions, but we think that you should still have 40 hours of productivity in a week. It's like, it's one or the other, buddy. You need to set good boundaries to the people that are, you're mentoring and the people that are above you that you're accountable to. Yeah. Um, if you do those things, you can usually work it out or you find out that you can't, then you need to move on anyway. So we've kind of gotten into the next question a little bit, which is how do you motivate someone to learn on their own? And I told the story about how I just would ask, all right, well, what, what did you find out when you Googled this? What do you know already? And if you approach it from the aspect of, all right, I don't want to tell you stuff you already know. Yeah, because that's insulting. You know, I don't want to bore you or insult your intelligence or anything. So let me know what you know, and we'll start from there. Where are you in solving this problem? What have you gotten so far? And sometimes you'll get to someone and it's a really big problem and they haven't even broken it down. They're trying to solve the whole big problem as one. And you're like, all right, let's start by breaking it down into smaller problems. The moment you do that, you're like, all right, how would you solve this? They're like, oh, I would do this. How would you solve that? I would do this. Then you say, okay, now you've got all the components. You just got to put them together. Yeah. And it just, it's so much fun. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, 
But when that light bulb goes off... Yeah, and they start actually getting how to combine those solutions into something that works. It is the most awesome thing, just seeing their face light up and they're like, oh my goodness, I get it. And like even the most reserved person, you can tell they're excited on the inside. Yeah. So speaking of being excited on the inside, when do you tell them to go to Stack Overflow? (laughs) Because I got to tell you, that excites me on the inside because I like troubleshooting threading issues and memory leaks a lot. (laughs) Those make me happy. I had to deal with a database concurrency issue this week, which was an absolute awful slugging match. And it was so much fun. (laughs) Like I reserved that ticket and the rest of my team was like, you don't have to reserve that ticket. We don't want it. (laughs) So I feel happy to send people a stack overflow because usually the code samples have things in there that I find very useful for teaching people what not to do. Yeah. It's like it has a solution, but it's a solution that's not entirely the best way to deal with a situation because I mean, it's crowdsourced, right? Yeah. So you're going to have people that are like, oh, there's a fly on the wall. Shoot it. You know? <laughs> like, so, yeah. What's your take on Stack Overflow? Oh, I love Stack Overflow. I think it's a great way to find out information. I don't ever use the code from Stack Overflow. Yeah. Now, I have a couple of times seen more senior people pull that code in, like copy and paste it, comment it out and use it as a, oh, that's how you do it. Let me apply it to what I'm doing so I don't mess it up kind of thing. Yeah, or like retyping it. Yeah. If I look at an answer there, I'll always retype it. I will never copy and paste. Yeah. Because then it stays in muscle memory. What they'll do is they'll copy and paste that so that it's in their code right above what they're typing out, and then they'll type it out. I like that. Honestly, I'd rather have it on a screen to my right, and I'm typing, because like I can yeah. glance over. But I want to try and figure out what to do next before I look at the Stack Overflow answer. Yeah, that was one of, one of my computer classes in college. The woman that taught it, she's really nice. She's still there. But the thing that we had, you know, this is the first time I think that she taught a programming class. I mean, it's been like 20 years, right? Almost. And she would assign a problem to us and then immediately start working through the solution on the board. And there were three of us in the class because it was a really small class during the summer. And we're like, hey, can you not do that? Like, just give us a day. Because we all three knew that you don't pick stuff up unless you have to kind of go through it yourself. That's like my discrete class. I absolutely loved it. And I told the professor that when it first started, I was concerned about how much work was involved. And then I started doing it. I'm like, oh, it's not as much as I thought because I didn't know like the homework was only three or four problems. Yeah. But there was homework due every day. But the cool thing is the lectures were videos where she worked through problems and talked about it. And you watch that. And then you did the homework and you came to class. And she went over the homework before you turned it in. So if you had actually done it and you messed something up because you had to do it in pencil, you had the opportunity to fix it. Yeah. Basically meaning if you did the homework, you got the points for it. She went through it too fast for you to do the homework in class with her. But you could fix it if you, you needed fix to. It. Yeah. And then each section we do a quiz. So it was a quiz about every other day or so. And she would do a practice quiz and give you about 10 or 15 minutes to do it yourself and then go through the practice quiz. That was great because we had the time to work on it and try to solve it ourselves. And then she'd go through it and you could ask questions and stuff like that. 
I really like that way of doing it. That's way better than the discrete class that I had in college. Yeah. Of course, I think it was it was also different material because ours was geared towards mathematicians. That teacher didn't help at all. They didn't show you how to do it. Just was like, okay, here's the next thing. Does anybody have any questions on this? And you're like, you're looking at it and you're like, this is all Greek letters. I don't know what I'm looking at. Yeah. You know, I don't have any questions because I literally can't formulate a question. Yeah. And that was like the most discouraging. So you don't want to do that to your students. On this, we'll move on to the next question. How long do you let someone struggle on their own before stepping in as the more senior developer and helping them out or doing it for them? I mean, I would give them at least an hour at a bare minimum. If the problem is bigger, obviously, you know, you scale up. I mean, I think you almost have to look at like the agile points that you would assign to a problem and go, okay, I'm going to scale the time that I allow them to work and flail about based on that. I also wouldn't give them anything huge if they're still learning so that you're kind of keeping that scope narrow. But you do want them to struggle a little bit because there's a phenomenon in learning like when you're at the edge of giving up or you are at the edge of forgetting something and then you get it, it sticks better. Mm -hmm. And so like, it's just really valuable. The other thing is, is a lot of times they come back with an approach or a way of looking at things that can help you. Yeah. So you almost do want to let them struggle just because that's another process out there that's getting useful stuff for you. Even if you don't care about the person, like you can, you can go, Hey, like, this increases the sum total of the knowledge in our team because they struggled and they overcame it. Yeah. And you have to balance that with getting stuff done. Yeah. Especially when you're doing like maintenance stuff. So getting things fixed versus letting the junior developer struggle so that they will learn. Part of it too is sometimes it's like, all right, they've been struggling with this and you didn't know what they were struggling with because they hadn't come to you yet. And when they finally go, all right, it's been three days and I still haven't figured this thing out. And they come to you and you're like, oh yeah, that is some weird business rule that we had to code for. Yeah. Or it's a compiler flag or something. Yeah. Yeah. Just something extremely unique happened to me not that long ago. A junior developer that I work with came to me and he'd been working on this thing. He probably put about 15 hours into trying to solve this. And he came to me and I looked at it and I'm like, that's weird. So I spent a few hours looking into it, trying to figure out what was going on. And it was a work with the dev database. Yep. Like he thought it was a code that he had changed. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. And I, I kept going and I kept going. And finally I promoted his code up to test just so I could see if it broke that too. And it didn't do it there. Uh. It was just like this quirk with the dev database. So I got our lead DBA in on it and we messed around with it eventually got it to stop happening but it was just it was a weird thing he probably should have come to it sooner with it but he legitimately thought it was a shortcoming on his part yeah and it'll feel like that i mean that is one thing if they're starting to get overly emotional about it within reason it's probably a good time to go in there and help them just so that they don't get broken and discouraged yeah i would also say if you're giving tasks to somebody who's still learning, you need to make sure their tasks are not going to be on the critical path of the project plan anytime soon. Yeah. Don't put that pressure on them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess the long and the short answer of this is that it depends and it depends on a lot of stuff. Honestly, that's why this episode is the way it is rather than having 
set answers yeah. because I knew we would have a discussion about it and give some examples and some ideas of the different areas to go with. Yeah, so it's basically an episode on uh, incontinence. It depends. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you you like made that? that joke. Wow. <laughs> Just wow, bro. How's that for the dad joke? Oh, my goodness. OMG. So what do you do if somebody comes to you with questions on everything? I've worked with people like this. It is immensely frustrating, especially if you've already answered the question and it's sitting in their email from last week. Mm -hmm. So what do you do about that? That's when I would do the thing where I set aside a set time and tell them, this is when you can come to me for questions. Yeah, this is like my time where I'm not focused and heads down. And you're going to have some of that, right? Like you got an eight-hour day. You're not writing code full throttle for eight hours. You may be writing code and like be in your IDE, but there's probably three or four hours in there that are really solid and you actually get stuff done. There may be a lot less than that, you know, at a lot of companies. But you've got, you know, you'd be, hey, come in the afternoon. Yeah. And we'll work through stuff. It may be like Thursdays at one. Because, you know, you're going to go have lunch with a good friend every Thursday. You're going to come back. You're going to be in a good mood. And so that's the time to to come at you with like all sorts of questions. Yeah. And you're full of curry and <laughs> stomach's bubbling. So you got an excuse to get out of there if they <laughs> are asking really stupid questions. I like that. Yeah. Uh, not that I've ever done anything. That's why the, all the specificity about curry is purely coincidental. <laughs> And speaking of things I've never done, what if I don't know the answer? No, I'm, I'm oh, kidding. wow. <laughs> I'm kidding. And people call me arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. There's a lot of times I don't know the answer and it's, you know, something I did previously. Like it's, you wrote this code yesterday. What do you mean you don't know the answer? <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of like, you know, there's one of those things where you just got to go, you know, stuff's kind of dumb, you know? Yeah. Should be used to it by now. You're asking me questions. So what does that make you? So. What if I don't know the answer? I'll be honest. The best thing you can do is say, I don't know the answer. Let's look it up yep. and figure it out together. Because a lot of times too, they don't know the answer and they don't know how to look and mm-hmm. they're afraid to ask how to look. So if you look it up yourself, they'll steal the way that you did it. And next time they won't bother you. Right. That's exactly where I was going with it is let's look it up together. And then you turn that into a teaching moment going way back to one of our earlier questions about how to look it up. Yeah, that's basically it. But, you know, speaking of that, what do you do if you feel like you're an imposter? Anytime that I have to deal with anything that's really, really heavy JavaScript, that's kind of how I feel. If if I have to deal with CSS, I don't feel like I'm an imposter at all because I feel like nobody knows. But it's just like, here's this... You know, here's this thing, this black box in the browser. Except for our friend Amy. Yeah. Amy Knight, she did the the talk. We had her on the show talking about uh, CSS. Yeah. She knows that stuff very well. Yeah. But like the rest of the time, you know, like feeling like an imposter, one thing that will help you with that is actually having a dialogue with somebody rather than being the Kung Fu master on the mountain. <laughs> like if you're approaching it as, well, I don't really know, but let's go look. And then you're just helping them. You're on the journey with them and your ego isn't tied up in that. You're not going to feel bad, you know, from an imposter syndrome perspective because there's no expectation on you to know it all. Well, I think that's where being a mentor comes in. You know, a mentor is someone who is on the path with you, who like 
maybe a trail guide, maybe they already they've been down the path before or they're familiar with the woods. Yeah. You know, and you may be going someplace that they've never been, but you come to them because they're familiar with the woods and they know what's poisonous and what's not. Right. And so they're like, all right, let's go together. Yeah. That's the thing. And so in other words, they're telling you not to use jQuery for storing state. Because <laughs> that's poisonous. That's freaking nightshade right there. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just salty today. I don't know what my problem is. We also had an episode about dealing with imposter syndrome. We did. Um, which is, is a good thing to reference. The other thing is, is, you know, a little bit of humor will help as well. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to go as so far as Will does on his humor. Well, you know, you probably can't make toilet jokes that quickly anyway. So you might be able to, but that seems to be a thing that I do. If you can, I feel sorry for all the people in your life. I'm just kidding. Guys. Yeah. I'm what just are you kidding. trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> He's right, though. Going with humor is a great way to lighten that situation. But being honest and just admitting, hey, I don't know about this. Let's go into it together. Yeah. That's going to build that relationship because you're going to learn stuff about the person you're mentoring. They're going to learn from you and about you. And you'll be able to show them things that they can emulate later. Yeah. So on that, the next question, sort of our penultimate question here is, how do I know if I'm sucking at teaching? or if the person is always going to suck at whatever they're doing. Well, the first thing is, it doesn't really matter if you suck at teaching. Get over that because the person is trying to get to a result. There are ways to improve your teaching. And usually the way you improve it is by being terrible. And then kind of going back and going, all right, that did not work as I intended it to work. So treat it like you're coding. Yeah. You know, you're trying something new. You're... I mean, I've been dealing with worker services in .NET Core 3.0 lately. So the docs even haven't caught up with you yet. Right. That came out two months ago. Yeah. Out of beta two months ago. Yeah. Everybody but the guy that wrote it sucks at it. And he probably does too because he can't remember it all. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, I love, love what I'm getting to do because I'm getting to do some really cool stuff. But... I was trying to explain what I was doing to my lead developer and I was doing a terrible job at explaining it because I barely understand it. I just know you do this, this happens. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, well, well, why is this? And why? I'm like, I don't know yet. <laughs> I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> Her response was kind of like, a, it wasn't exactly better you than me, but it was kind of like that because I don't think she's interested in in traveling down this path. <laughs> yeah, I've she had likes a few learning, jobs. But I don't think she likes learning at this bleeding of the edge. Yeah, and I don't either. Like, I think that's something that younger devs like a lot more or people that haven't maybe been coding as long, which is good, right? Because that's the uh, that's the expendable foot soldiers. Huh, thanks. You know, as it were. You know, because I think once you've done this for a while, you remember all the times that you learned the bleeding edge stuff and Microsoft changed it. Yeah, there's that. You know, data access frameworks, you know, I have done those all the way back to the ODBC API. And so it's going to be hard to convince me to go learn something new that just came out Mm -hmm. until version three or so, just because of that. You know, back to the 
you know, sucking at teaching, I would say that if you can't make the material stick for the person, that is a problem. I'm not going to phrase that as you being a bad teacher. You just haven't found the thing that works yet. I think the intent of the question is, and I just reread it while you were talking. I was like, I feel like we're a little off on this one. I think the intent of the question was, how do I know the difference between I'm a bad teacher and they're a bad student? Well, if you think they're a bad student, you're a bad teacher. It's not the teacher and it's not the student. It's the interaction between the two. It's like the barycenter between, you know, the earth and the moon, like the center of gravity between the two isn't one of them. It's a spot out in space. And it's kind of like that with teaching somebody. It's can you have a working interaction with this person that provides value to them and helps them or not? It's both of you. I agree. I'm also thinking, you know, from the mentor teacher perspective, if you have someone who just refuses to learn. Yeah. Who just is like, I'm, I'm just going to come to you and have you solve this for me every time. And no matter if you do all the other stuff we talked about, they're they're not going to do it. They're not going to follow that. They're just going to come to you and ask for the solution. How do you know when it's, I'm not doing the right thing to help them learn versus they're not trying to learn? Yeah, that's, that's a little bit trickier. Yeah. Like if they won't do the work, don't help them anymore. Yeah. I firmly believe in just cutting people off that do not do the work. Actually, I think I made a post on Facebook about that this week. I said something to the effect of, if you want the results, but you don't want to do the work, you don't actually want the results enough. Yeah. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> that sounds like stuff we've said to friends of ours who ask, well, how do you guys get so much done? And when we, we ask- do it. We, yeah. When we ask them, well, what's your nightly routine like after you get off work? and the vast majority of it is it's like go home, spend time with the family, eat dinner, and then I go and watch TV. Yeah. It's like, it's not that you don't do stuff or that you don't have the time. It's you prioritize watching TV over doing these other things. Yeah. So if you get somebody that is not willing to put in the effort for where they're trying to go, you just have to go, are you really trying to get where you're saying you're trying to go? Or is there something else that's a better choice for you? Right. There's a lot of people that get into software dev and they go a few years in and they just get over it and they're not going to learn any more stuff, but they're still tech adjacent. Like they could be very valuable as a graphic design person or a project manager. And I'm not saying that you fail out of programming into those things, but sometimes you get a ways in and you're like, this is not quite what I need. We've had friends that did that. Yeah. That they got into programming and said, this is not what I want to do, but this programming adjacent, like project management or something like that job. I really like what they do. I want to do that. And they got into it and they were better at their job working with programmers because they understood where the programmers were coming from. Yeah. Some of the best PMs I've worked with are former programmers. Some of the best QA people. Oh yeah, I believe that. Especially. So yeah, I would say that it's not this person sucking or this person sucking. It's a misalignment of your relationship with each other, your relationship with the relationship and the person's trajectory. Yeah. So the final question, how do you handle informal mentoring situations where you're at the same level as the person you are guiding? Yeah. I mean, I usually just ask them, I'm like, look, uh, so 
are you comfortable with like following directions from somebody who pushes on doors that say pull? <laughs> like I like to set the expectation early <laughs> because that is what they're getting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, you know, I'm not being false here. It's like, look, sometimes I'm kind of a moron. So, yeah, you know, I'll try to help you, <laughs> but you need to understand, you know, like when you talk to me about something, you ask me a question, you're not getting uncle Bob. <laughs> you know, you're, you're getting the guy that, pushes on the door that says pull. Yeah. As long as you're all okay with that and we level set there, then it's okay. I think in the situations I've been in where we were around the same level, it was more of a give and take. Yeah. Like when you and I were doing martial arts together and you were a little bit ahead of me because you've been doing it a lot longer, but in the particular art we were in, you've been doing it a little bit longer, but we were pretty close. And when we worked together, it was, oh, hey, I... I figured this out. Yeah, this works better for me. And sometimes you'd be struggling with something. I'd be like, hey, this is how I do it. And you're like, huh, I never thought about doing it that way. And then you do it and it'd work. And it's sort of this give and take and back and forth. Yeah, it's a hacking session, not a classroom. Right, right, yeah. And it's like different mentoring relationships are going to be different. So it is a relationship. So the relationship that Will and I have is very different than the relationship that I have with Amanda. Thank goodness on both of our parts. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I just really don't even know what to say to that one. The topic of being a good mentor gets people passionate. When we asked our Slack channel for questions, we saw as much discussion on how to be a good mentor as we received questions for the episode. And the conversation kept going after I had already gotten my questions. If you aren't a member, Go over to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com and sign up. We have a lot of fun and a lot of great discussions on there. Remember, no matter where you are in your journey, you may be asked for advice or help by someone. Just because you're a junior or a newbie doesn't mean you don't have something to offer. Also, for experienced developers, it can be difficult to remember what it was like to not understand some concepts. Use the information discussed here to help you better yourself and those around you. That pretty much wraps us up before we close everything out. Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, along with the whole mentoring thing, when somebody comes to ask you a question, don't necessarily take the question at face value because a lot of times there is another thing hidden in there. A good example of that is when you have a coworker that comes and they are stuck on a problem and they're frustrated and everything and you're like, well, it's just a simple problem. That's probably not the right thing to say because they're also asking, how do I not look like a moron in front of my boss? And that's the actual concern. And so if you can see the question under the question and address that, a lot of times the first question goes away, right? If you can't solve the first question, solve the thing that caused that problem. Kind of be aware of that, especially as you're mentoring people, because you're going to be in a situation where you're going to be dealing with a lot of people's psychology and the way that they think about the world and the way they approach the world. And so sometimes you're going to find that the right answer to the problem doesn't help. So I'm just going to throw that out there as a thing to pay attention to. That's all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. 
for references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.